0: On the horse, I, have to jump him. I don't want to I just end up doing it, I don't know why. They say you have to do something mad every day, don't they? <laughs> Frighten yourself every day.
1: <laughs> I think that they eat, sleep, and drink horses. It's a good point. They're born for. It. There's a braveness there or a fearlessness. They just love it.
2: they uh, energetic. Lively, spirited, very, very determined. Everything you look for in a good pony or in a great horse, they hit all of those qualities. Lesgargo and Red Run together as they come to the second last. And they touch down together. Yeah, you know, they have the penalty
1: to be uh, champions.
3: We're at Arthur Moore's stables. It's a snowy morning in February. Horses are coming in from the fields. The warm breath from their nostrils visible in the cold air. Arthur is the son of Dan Moore, both legendary trainers. It was at their stables that Tommy Carberry arrived on a September morning in 1956 at the age of 14, beginning one of Ireland's most well-known and loved racing dynasties. A dynasty that went on to win eight grand nationals in Ireland, England, and France several Gold Cups and Cheltenham victories.
4: Uh, we was just farmers. My father died when when I was young and uh, he wasn't too old either. So my mother, I'd rest her, She had to rear, rear the six of us. I was at uh, CBS in, in Drogheda and uh, I obviously wasn't sending home big, big uh, marks at the end of my exams so I, I was let off to go to to Danmore's to serve my time or to work at Horses, you know. I was there over 25, 26 years. Maybe more, longer now. And I, I didn't count it. Anyway. Quarter of a century as the head man there, used to say. <laughs> yeah.
3: And was it the best decision you ever made?
4: For me, yes. <laughs> you know, definitely. Uh, four gold cups and and Irish, two Irish nationals and an English national as well, so...
3: In the middle of all of these wins, Pamela Moore, Arthur's sister, arrived home from boarding school in England and fell in love with Tommy.
4: We got married in 70.
3: Where did you propose to her?
4: I don't know the hell. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Tommy doesn't like to talk about romance, but he does like to talk about horses. Yeah, you like
4: horses with a bit of personality, you know? Um and he'd often come across a fellow that is he's a cheeky bugger you know and and i like him because you, you could you could play with the beggar because he'd, he'd give a book and a kick but he'd, only, he'd be doing the same as you were doing giving him a slap he'd just give the book you know the only act
2: the fool. And Tommy Carberry's gonna to become the first jockey in history to win the Gold Cup and the Irish National and the English National. As Lescargo strides here, 12 years old, to win the National for Raymond Guest. And here he comes to the line, Les Gargo, the comfortable winner of the 1975 National, the little hero who won it
3: last year, and the year when the Tommy Carberry and Lescargo won the National in Liverpool. Only three of their six children had been born. But over the years, the tape of his victory was played over and over, so often that it eventually unravelled.
0: I used to pretend I was in the, in the, in the national, let on, each job I was coming to, I'd be calling them different names, like the chair or the beach or the, here comes the big ditch, let's get over this one safely.
5: And you'd know all the different horses, uh Hundy Pandy, do boom docker going out in front and, and all these horses and uh, Crisp and and uh, obviously Red Rum, Lescargo and, and uh so you you got into this and you you knew what was gonna happen the next fence and, and then then you'd forget about it. Uh, and two years later Nina would throw it on and she'd be really interested in it. It
6: was good to watch them at least we had them anyway to see them and it's great to see Dad riding as well.
5: I suppose there was a few small saddles lying about and then someone got a bright idea of t- attaching it to the couch.
6: Peter used to get up on the, on the sofa and he'd be riding a finish and he'd be the faller and he'd fall off and he'd get back up again and he'd ride the next one and he'd fall off that one, so we all had good fun watching
0: it. Peter beating the, beating the whip off the couch.
4: I remember the back acting the fool trying to break the couch.
5: <laughs> well, he's always giving out because it was his side of the couch and if he'd be always because it'd be loose because I'd be on it the whole night.
6: You can sit in there, lad. What race do you want to go for next,
3: though? Tommy and Pamela Carberry's six children grew up in a dormer oh, bungalow a in the parish of Ratoth.
4: I suppose another handicap hurdle. All oh, right.
3: Inside, there's a long, narrow hallway.
6: We'd have to get him checked out
4: first. In the
3: sitting room, old black and white pictures of Tommy's racing days hang to the left of a marble fireplace.
6: Can you give him a jump there next week?
3: Elsewhere, there are yes. pictures of yeah, Thomas, yeah. Paul, yeah. Mark, Philip, Nina and Peter John when they were younger.
6: <laughs> I think it's present now that we talk about that.
3: All um, skinny legs, bony oh, yeah. arms and bright T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Always on horses, always with big smiles.
6: Just from Pontchartan, you was at... I don't know. I that rusty.
3: Outside, it's like there's a small there tree room. in the garden, a horse Wait, box what? out the back and green fields.
6: Like cottage one in the golf
3: it was across these fields and beyond that Paul, Philip, Nina and Peter John all learned how to ride.
0: first pony I had was Jack. He was a stray that came into the yard while he just landed beside the yard. He was like a tinker's pony. He'd throw you off very quickly. He'd run along and then just stop, put his head down and you'd go flying over his head.
6: When I got a bit older Paul brought me off a <laughs> load of places we got in a bit of trouble sometimes but we shouldn't really been in the, the land that we were in so we kind of got a few phone calls That I kind of had to get I took the phone calls a few times the <laughs> farmers kind of giving out we were going into their land but it kind of blew over then after a while
0: <laughs> We'd have to dodge the farmers a good bit and be thrown out we'd have to deny it say the hunt was true it wasn't us we be riding out every day come back from school and the minute I got home straight onto the pony and head into anybody's land I could find, just keep jumping ditches and come back when it's dark, come back when I'm hungry on my own, with my dog, One man and his
5: dog I remember dad used to collect me from school sometimes when I was very young again I probably just can barely remember it but uh, we used to stop for a cup of tea maybe on the way home and uh, he would have the cup of tea and then he he'd come and say so, so what do you want to grow up and like you know so I used to say I want to be a fireman or whatever but I uh, just slagging slagging him a bit but uh, deep down it was always you would love to be a jockey the desire was to be a, to be a jockey and uh, for me I suppose it was it was uh, wouldn't it be great to be a, a jockey just and uh, just to be one and, and have it as your career and, Every day with the horses and riding, going from race course to race course and, and living that sort of lifestyle, and uh, that's what's in your blood.
3: All six of the Carberries went to Retoth National School. Two of their former teachers, Maurice Carney and Claire Donlan.
2: Well, there would be this remarkable vision of, was it a pony, was it a carbury Because they appear to be unified, and you never know when they would be crossing a hedge or crossing the road or crossing a ditch. But uh, in those years, people going that way were just aware, you know, that today you watch for potholes. Like in those days, you watch for a carbury leaping a ditch.
5: The carberries never walked anywhere. They were always going at full speed. I hear them scare them kids, but so loved. Just fantastic, fantastic
2: kids at school. When Peter John was in one of our more junior classes, And his teacher was getting a bit concerned that he appeared to have rather strange-looking biscuits for lunch. And eventually she inquired, well, uh, what kind of biscuits are those, Peter John? And he said, well, they're the ones I feed my rabbits. I have some rabbits. And she wondered, well, why are you eating them? Well, I was told if I want to be a jockey, I'd have to eat like a rabbit.
5: And I loathed the stories of Nina. Nina uh, made it into her school government. She was her minister for sport. She was full of the joys, full of enthusiasm, a leader, so confident, so capable, and just needed to believe in
2: herself. You know, that Nina was always a tremendous achiever, but she had a modesty there that I mightn't, you know, and so she drove herself to achieve it. Whereas the boys had that stronger edge, I suppose. They had a supreme self-confidence in their physical abilities Paul now comes to mind I can even picture him on our fine field out here when we had a fine field out here and he tearing into it and, and you know I was running all around him as fast as a hare
3: after leaving school five of the six Carbrees became involved in racing Mark is the exception he works as a carpenter in Australia Thomas the oldest works as a private trainer the other four are all jockeys is ranked among the top professional jockeys in Ireland. In 2005, Nina became the first woman in 18 years to beat professionals at Cheltenham, and she's one of four female riders to have completed the Aintree Grand National. Philip has two French Gold Cup victories, an Irish Grand National, and has won the Champions Hurdle. The youngest, Peter John, turned professional last year. Brian O'Connor is racing correspondent with the Irish Times.
7: I think the Carberries are a pretty unique racing family in Ireland and uh, in terms of Irish sport as well. I mean, it's remarkable having um, three siblings like that with the level of talent that they have. Um, ask anybody in racing, uh, they'll tell you Paul Carberry is probably the greatest natural talent that they've seen on a horse. Um, Nina is, is in many ways a, a replica of him in terms of style. They both ride quite short, both toe in the iron, Um both rely on their balance an awful lot um, and it's a fantastic natural balance and it's, it, it's wonderful to watch when it's in full flow. Uh, Philip rides a little differently but is also a, a hugely nat- naturally talented jockey as his list of big race victories proves.
3: The biggest stage for every jockey is the Aintree Grand National. And in 1999, 24 years after he'd won the same race on Lescar Go, Tommy Carberry, now a trainer, had a horse in his yard that he thought could win it. A horse called Bobby Joe.
4: You could call him just slightly on the temperamental. He'd be a little bit of a worrier now, but, you know, and if he didn't get off on the right foot, he, he could just say, well, I don't like it, and that's it, you know.
3: In 1998, Bobby Joe won the Irish Grand National, so the stage was set for him to take on Aintree and Paul was chosen to ride him.
0: I'd like to get there early and just go into the sauna for 20 minutes, so that's just a bit of a sweat. I wouldn't eat that much now before the races, so it's fine on race days, I wouldn't eat till the evening time. Would you not be starving? No. Actually, when I was riding in the flat, I wouldn't, wouldn't eat for nearly a week, have half a sandwich, have a sandwich for the week. And then on the saturdays he'd have a meal. Small dishes, rabbit food. Uh, but I wouldn't really have much of a routine, though. No. This is the Mozart before race. Seriously? <laughs> no.
5: <laughs> if it is a big race and you have a big chance, I suppose you could you could compare it to having maybe three or four Espresso, uh, one after the other. Uh, but you, you can still feel relaxed, but yet you're going to have that energy pumping.
0: It'd be good to have a crackdown in the, in the weigh room, all the lads cheering each other.
5: Wade
3: in, Michael. Well. Barry Geraghty, a close friend of Paul and his partner Rachel and a previous entry winner
1: It's the biggest race you'll, you know. of anyone's career um, and no matter where you travel in the world if someone asks you what to do when you say you're a jockey the first thing they'll ask you is have you ridden in the Grand National or have you won the Grand National so it is, it's, it is worldwide recognition you know, it's, it's the biggest thing you can do in racing
6: you look through the form and you know you're focused you have to be focused and know what you're doing know what horse you have to beat
0: I uh, hardly ever look at a race before I get up and just get up on the horse and find out down the start what's sort of fancy, then what's going where or who's doing what but um, generally wouldn't really look at, look at the form now at all get up on the horse and ride in the race see a lot of the other boys be studying the form and that doesn't make the horses go any quicker I don't think so you're getting yourself, like, nervous or whatever, so you just don't think about it, you just wait for see what happens.
8: Uh, away they go, on the way to a very good start.
5: When you're in the race, it could be very cold, and you're wearing these skimpy clothes, and people understand the are freezing. They say, "How did they do it?" You know. But once you're out there, you're concentrating so hard on on the race that if that all goes out the window, the cold and the sleet and the snow or whatever it is, when you when you jump on the horse and you're going down to the start, all that comes back to you the sense of you, you know the smell of the horse, the sweat, and the rhythm, and that you know, it all comes back to you that oh, I'm I'm at home as such.
2: First fence, they spread right across the fence, and now then led.
5: Well, the the start of it now.
0: There's one, two, three, four, five. Six. I think there's seven jumps in until you get to Beechers, so you can see all of them when you hopefully get to the seventh anyway, but then that's no, amazing, that they're very wide anyway, but so you'd see the first two fairly well, but you can see, even when you're coming to the first, the size of the third, that's very big, so that you can see that straight away. But um, you just ride it when, um, as you find it, hopefully meet it on the right stride and get over
8: them. Uh, I wouldn't have seen him until he arrived on the track at an early age of maybe 14 or 15 or 16. But you knew straight away from the time you'd have heard that Tommy's young lad can ride well, or he's another young lad coming along, or Nina rides better than the two lads. And when you see them ride, then you just they, they they slotted right in.
3: Ted Walsh, racing commentator, trainer, and former jockey, has known the Carberries for years. He rode against Tommy in the 1970s.
8: He was always a very, very classy sort of jockey. He was a, a flat jockey turned jump jockey. And he had that style about him. And he was he was an instant success. And he was just, from a very early age, he was a top-class jockey. And he only got better as he got older. The bigger the occasion, the better he rode. Uh, Paul is sort of flamboyant, a bit like Tommy. He's carefree. Again, the bigger the stage, the better Paul rides. He rides very, very good all the way through the year, but... Uh, when the pressure's on again, it never phases Paul. Uh, lovely hands, horses jump great from. They always jump well for Tommy too, but they even jump better, I think, for Paul. Paul is a very, very natural rider, and horses really jump from and run very sweetly from. He doesn't have to. He doesn't ever appear to have to be over aggressive to get the best out of a horse. And the same applied to Nina. Uh, Nina was a girl into a man's world, but you knew she was a bit special from the first day you saw her ride. She was very stylish. Uh, oh, she's definitely the best of her generation. No doubt, no doubt, the best of her generation. No doubt about that.
2: All the
1: whole way around, got a great run down the inside. The whole way, the brave man's route they call it. You know, down the inside, the drops are bigger. Um, you know, and you need you need a, a really sure-footed horse, and you know, obviously. A, that is not going to fall off either. But Paul, Paul went the Redman's man's route and usually does. And uh,
0: jumper brilliantly, and I was going past Norma Williamson. And he said to slow down. He says it's a long way from home from here. So I sort of took his advice and just stayed in behind. Right
8: behind them is uh, Bobby Joe's in a good place with UDP, and they're all safely over that one. Plenty of standing here as they come to the chair fence.
4: And the chair, chair is done. a formidable fence down in front of the stands. The gentleman dropped themselves a gear when they see it coming up. <laughs> you know, she looks she looks big, and you say, you're not going to take a chance of that one." Now. You know, uh, there's a couple of fences like that on the track, being standing up like a wall in front of you, and you're coming. So you'd have to get yourself ready. <laughs> some someone would be thinking about would you whip around and go back to? <laughs>
8: leading right behind them it feels like gold
7: As in terms of racing it's it's always one of the great questions you know how do these guys do it you know day in day out ride over fences at 35 miles an hour knowing that they're going to get hurt we are talking people who are you know crazy brave but that's just a fundamental then you've got the question of you know how do they get so good at it you know the real top guys and that means you know no idiot ever got to the top of any sport you know there's always an intelligence there in amongst guys who are absolutely at the top of their game because they wouldn't make it to that level unless they unless they were bright um, They are different from the rest of us in that you know most of us would have a, a, a would have a certain capacity to imagine what would happen in the worst case scenario if a jump jockey was like that, you just wouldn't get up on the horse because you know he'd be paralyzed he'd be, he'd be completely paralyzed with fear I mean you just wouldn't do it. So there is there's definitely some kink there that allows them to do what they do. There's no fear. If there is, it's it's hidden
8: very well. two over
5: one and two, followed by third brave Highlander. I think Tony McCoy says it all the time. He says uh, anytime a jockey gets injured uh, badly, like he, the first thing he asks the doctor, so when am I going to be back riding? You know, because that's exactly what a jockey thinks. I've been lucky enough. I just broke my collarbone... Once when I was very when I was starting off, later on then I I fell nice ace one day and uh, I was fine, but a horse fell over me and uh, I uh, dis- had a dislocated fracture on my ankle, three screws and and a plate alongside it now. Anyways, but uh, so it's restricted the movement a bit. But apart from that, now I've been been pretty lucky, very lucky. Yeah. Brave out very wide and Sam Lee, then comes Fraser Island.
0: here Broke me arm, two wrists, ribs. In back,
4: Leg, three times, I, think. I Broke all the ribs down here to the side and punctured lung. It collapsed, so that put me on a machine for a week. What do you call the things? Life, Life machine. Support. Yeah, put you on oxygen or whatever as well, you know. I
6: haven't got too many, thank God, touch wood. I um, had a um, broken collarbone on my meditarsal there. Paul has a lot more injuries now than I. He's probably broken every bone in his body.
0: Yeah, punctured lung, punctured spleen. I think that's just it. Fingers, thumbs. <laughs> that enough?
6: <laughs> yeah, but I think like you can't really have fear in you when you're heading out. Like I think everyone has to be clear in your mind and know what you're doing. And I think if fear kind of enters into it, it's not good. Like
5: I think if if you uh, if you're not enjoying it, something like fear might come into it fear is 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 a sort is of a, is a decision that's like if you lose your dedication and focus um your fear is going to creep in but if you have your dedication your focus and and your and your your desire to win you're not going to give that a chance you know but uh and when you do see you see jockeys around you being injured killed um severely injured permanently injured uh it's something that happens but you have to respect that uh it happens in a lot of other things as well
3: Paul, like Nina, is attached to Noel Mead stables outside Navan in County Mead.
1: The first time I saw Thomas and Paul was out hunting and the two of them arrived out on two grey ponies and um, they were um, two walking demons at the time when they came out first I, I, I suppose they weren't any more than seven or eight or nine at the time I'll never forget them They're, but nothing was too big or too wide or too deep they had to try everything and when there was, when we were standing around, checked, they'd be jumping over from one ditch to another, one field to another, just for the passing the time. So there was never, there was always action with them. There's not one ounce of badness now. Now, they're all tricksters, every one of them. And, like, I mean, they will always be um, cracking jokes and whatever, but there, there's not an ounce of badness. Like, I don't think you could find a nicer family that,
7: you know, no way would do you a bad turn if they couldn't do you a good one. Paul's statement always was that we were for a good time, n- not a long time. And he's right. I'm sure he is. Well, I'm sure that plenty of the stories about Paul have grown legs over the years. But I mean, you, you can't be on a racecourse for any length of time without hearing something about about the man. Uh, I mean, stories about riding horses into pubs and he was down
4: hunting down the south, and uh, the hunter came into this town. He got a loan of a hunter of a trailer, and he. They were all in for coffees and drinks and everything in this place. And he rode the horse in. <laughs> so he, all the people were running for cover and everything. I said it's a wonder it didn't go through the floor. Oh no. Walked it in. Walked it up and down. <laughs> so like he could do he could do something like that in the middle of the for a laugh.
3: <laughs> do you like hearing those stories though?
4: Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't like to see him coming in on a horse as you, and you enjoying a cup of tea. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
3: would you have done things like that?
4: No, I was very quiet. He takes after his mother.
0: I had a broken arm actually in the cast at the time and we were on the pub and somebody said there's a, a horse down there and a horse box would tack on him. So I suggested to the boys that we, we take him out and bring him in. The audience laughed, and then somebody said, "They dare me to do it." I said, "You don't have to dare me. I'm going to do it anyway." So we pulled them out and into the pub we rode them. And then we did. Do we know there was a lad in the corner said, "This hey, that looks like my horse." And <laughs> you know it was his horse, so he went a bit mad, but got the horse out of the pub and he wasn't too mad. He settled down. Saw the funny side of it.
3: Why do you do things at that, Paul?
0: I don't know, just something clicks in my brain to have to do it, so... It just happens. Rachel said I a split personally, but I don't believe that.
4: (laughs) Why did she Uh, do
0: that? Oh, she said, I'd just be very quiet when I'm not drinking and... When I'm drinking, I'm... very funny guy, but I am very... I would be very shy anyway, so...
7: I read something on an Australian newspaper from a few years ago where they were talking about this mad Irishman who, whose party trick was to climb out the window of a speeding car, climb over the bonnet of the car, or the roof of the car, and climb in the window at the other side. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it made it to Australia, which sort of tells something about the, the impact of the man.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know where that came from. Get out one window in the back window, or I wouldn't go across the
4: top. The lunchtime headlines on Wednesday the 24th of May. The jockey Paul Carberry has been given a two-month jail sentence after being found guilty of an offence while a passenger on an airliner.
7: The general consensus would be that there's no no badness in the guy at all. Uh, It's just, you know, he gets bored easy. But sometimes it um, veers into sort of dangerous territory and uh, the incident on the plane uh, going into Dublin Airport was you know, beyond the pale. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have felt like burning the Irish Times over the years. Uh to do it at ten thousand feet is a bit much. And uh, there was you no know, there was genuine fear I believe, uh, from fellow passengers when the flames started going up. But in fairness to Paul I, I think nobody realised quicker than him, you know, that he'd 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 gone beyond the bounds. And um I think it was a, a wake up call in, in terms of his behaviour. Uh, you know, but I think it's a tribute to the guy also to you know to his essential personality that, uh, he, that it was forgotten relatively quickly, and that nobody believed that you know there was any malice in it. It was just you know a question of a guy who's easily bored being bored.
0: It's just messing. Um, just your case he didn't just forgot where I was. They kind of playing. They've done it heaps of times before, so he um, wasn't thinking. And um, there was a, not, no, no danger intended or anything like that, so <laughs> everything was dealt with fairly quickly. Um, but it just took a while for it to blow over. But luckily enough to get it off it anyway, so everything worked out grand.
3: Last year, Paul Carberry was in the headlines again when he failed a breathalyser test before a race meeting in NACE. It was a second offence.
0: Walking well, into the race now, I thought I'd be fine, so obviously wasn't. But it's one of those things. But definitely think the spleen has a lot to do with it, not... That car doesn't get out of the system as quick, but I can't change that now either. <coughs> so I'm trying to stay off until I finish riding. Is that tough? No, it's not too bad. I find it easy enough.
3: And why have you made that decision?
0: Um, sort of no, it so said they couldn't let me ride it unless they went off it. So I said no about it.
8: I'm give it a try. <laughs>
5: Then General Wolf is being given a couple of cracks with a stick there. Sunny Bay runs next, and
0: Addicts Boy Well, I'd say that the, the percentage of times that I, I'm just looking at green must be a hell of a lot because sometimes we're be going along in a race and I'm just all I can see is green because you're only looking at the, at the grass. It's already done. Dum, dum 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 Oh, jump, green, green, green. So, um, I would be quiet enough that sometimes you get to all that shouting, looking for a room or that. Or, wondering how you're getting on. In the national, you get a few lads talking to you, see how you're going, or some races. You'd ask you, are you going well, or find out if he's had enough of sleep sleeve before you attack him. Um, I oh yeah, sometimes I've been singing on the track, or during the race. can't remember what. Oh, I was actually singing to Barry once, in Tralee, Barry he was He was on a hot shot. I think it was... I'm not sure if it was money on. it was favourite anyway, and uh, we turned into the straight, and I was pushing my horse, and he was sitting on the rider, So I started singing, "I need a miracle, I need a miracle," and the miracle came true because I bet him a half an lent or something. So, sing the It was the second
3: When you ask around about the Carberries, a smile comes on everyone's face. Various words are used to describe them: brilliant horse people. Great characters, modest, quiet yet wild. They're known for their big smiles, great laughs, and cheeky grins. But what do they say about each other?
5: Dad would be, um, as I said, quiet. Um, he'd be when you ask him something, he'll tell you all about it. But he's not going to get into a big conversation, you know. So uh, you know, wouldn't be a lot said. So so you do listen, um, and what you know, what it is, it's important. And uh, mum is very. Very helpful to us all. Uh, she she would she'd have the same enthusiasm as Dad would in in, in the horses. They, they work hand in hand perfectly. They work very hard, and uh, she would be the one. If one of us got a fall, she would be the one to give the big roar. Hope you know, a, a, as in a fright. Paul is more of a, a is more. Uh, he's very smart. Like he, he'd be very good with his one liners and different things like that. But he'd be very quiet as well. He'd be be pretty similar. Pretty similar to Dad. We're all sort of close
0: myself yeah, have Nina be very close like
3: Would you chat
0: on the phone much? I'd be about the worst person in the world to talk to on the phone. It's just yeah, no. Okay. So not too many people ring me up for a chat. <laughs> um I'd be closest to Nina, so she's a bit like my clone, She's uh when I was a baby i did a she a sheet sort of a thing that used to rub under under my nose and uh, i probably had it till it was four or five before mum got it off me. She couldn't even get a chance to wash it. But if I didn't have that now, the ties were out of the pram fully. And then when Nina came along, she had the <coughs> exact same sheet. And uh I just find her style and everything is pretty much like mine. And She doesn't like being slagged too much. <laughs> She's a very good dancer. <laughs> Chicken legs go everywhere. <laughs>
6: Philip's very outgoing and I think we're all pretty outgoing really and maybe I'm a little bit shy sometimes but I don't think any of the others are shy <laughs> I don't think they seem they're all similar like when they all get out they're all basically the same mad
0: <laughs> Philip wouldn't tell himself what he's doing he'd be um, very smooth he
5: wouldn't know where would be at um, <laughs> mm, I suppose I wouldn't say something until I was sure you know you wouldn't like to tempt fate that's all you know nothing sort of uh, mischievous about or anything like that I'd be very open and honest, but I suppose if this when you're getting to the racing, like, you have to keep something to yourself. I suppose you know, <laughs>
0: very laid back as well, Be a bit of a mad side, and it comes out that nah, very not too often, but he uh, tends to get out every now and again. with uh, smoothie, little ladies' man.
5: Uh, I wish, I wish, <laughs> uh, no, well, no comments about that either. feels like gold second and then northern lad in third then the one thing is big in, in the races uh, especially on, on mucky day the whole muck is coming back on your face and you're getting you know there could be a stone in, in the soil and it's hitting on the face or something like that apart from that you're out in the fields basically and and, and the cold air is, is is rushing through you and it's going by your ears and maybe if it's a big race you hear the crowd uh, cheer roar and, and up the coming up to the finish all you can hear is a, is, a, is sort of that level of the crowd roar a, a high constant roar you, you do get to hear that but, but still you're so focused on, on on the job at hand that that it doesn't totally come into you traveling
8: exceptionally well second just in behind these third runs feels like gold they're chased
6: by everyone watching the national is um, tense like you know it's over every jumper you're counting every jump folks and...
4: just behind the pace. Was there something there that was going to knock him down? <laughs> Somebody run out in front of him. That
8: was very calm. He would probably get very emotional
6: around, but at the same moment, was kind of over that one or whatever. Like Gold,
8: well that
4: could be only once in a lifetime. And they just, they feel lucky to. To have the privilege of
8: looking This is the second last fence and there's about five or horse, six horses could win but Blue Charm has the inside berth and he's going to jump in first. No he's not. Brave Highlander. Many people down there. very people the faller at that one
0: and that Made a run for a after turning to the into the straight is and jumped the second last and Merry people fell in front of me so I just missed him and then I got a good run down to the last and jumped that well in the way he went.
6: It's when you're over last is when kind of the race comes on.
8: Bobby Joe for Ireland comes sweeping through to take the lead in the Grand National. They're coming to the elbow.
0: And he kept picking Go up and picking up. When I got to the elbow, I thought, this has to be a dream, can't be read. It's single file to the line, and it's going to be Bobby Joe for Ireland and it's
8: going to be the... This
0: race when I was growing up I always wanted to win and been watching a lot when I was younger. You don't just get a mad rush and you just sort of trying to think to yourself did this actually happen and then you realise it did and so it's just sort of that's no, a great feeling. Brilliant.
5: We all just couldn't believe it and ran towards the horse and the uh, it was uh, <laughs> we got to the horse a bit quicker than we, we thought uh, because the finishing line is very close to where we were and uh, it was where we were at the horse was still the horses galloping by us so we, we were in the thick of it when, when we were the first to welcome them back you know?
4: Paul Roger's loads of confidence and sit up there and
5: enjoy yourself you know, and he jumped like a bucket the whole way around you know? if you've won that race no one has anything on you because you've you shown it as a, as a family you, you like to so Paul and, and dad they've done it they've ridden it and dad has ridden it and trained it so just goes to show you you can if you can do that you can do anything so you just keep that in your head it's a good confidence booster and uh, keeps you going
4: it's amazing that we hadn't we hadn't won the national for 24 years and I was the last one that had won it on the scourge and then for Bobby, Joe and Paul to win it and Ted and Ruby to win at the following yeah. I think there's six of them since, but for those 24 years there wasn't one Irish winner. You'd have to be, you'd have to be proud to, But something went right for the change.
5: When you think of it that way, it was, uh, it was um, a huge accomplishment for that, you know, and uh, one that'll has to be matched. I don't think it'll be very hard to match. You know? No, when you think of it that way, it's it's uh, it's a fairy tale story really. <laughs>
6: Oh, it was a great day. Like it was like a dream the whole day. Just everything the whole day just felt like a dream, and it it felt so easy. Like
5: the feeling of having a winner is uh, is pretty indescribable because like just be 20 other horses and riders in the in the race, you have 20 other trainers, 20 other jockeys, and uh, 20 other owners trying to win that race, and yet you win it. So you notice at least. Forty, sixty, maybe people behind you that have tried to win that race, and yet you've won it. And you, you might have outsmarted them, or you might have been lucky. But uh, you, you feel so good after that that you want that feeling again. When you win, it's a real clear feel, feeling. I suppose when you when you breathe in, it's the freshest air you can you can, you can breathe in, and uh, you have no negative feelings. Uh, you have no uh, regrets. You know, because everything you've done up to that point. It was was the right thing to do. So you just feel really clear and uh, reset, I suppose you can say, and all your all your sins are washed away, kind of thing as well. <laughs> A little bit like that.